In today's episode, we continue the conversation, Airbnbs, the good, the bad, the future. Welcome to the Investor Fella podcast, where we discuss money and life. I'm your host, Jorge Navarro. So you want to get rich doing short-term rentals? Doesn't everybody? Are Airbnbs still gold rush? Hmm, question mark. Well, you're in for a treat. This is part B of the episode. I'll give you a look at what it's been like owning and managing my Airbnbs for the last six years. Are they still good investments? Will I buy more? Great information you should know. So let's find out. And just so you know, I'm not a financial advisor, nor is this financial advice. This podcast is all about information and education and my own experiences. So let's get started. Let's talk regulations. This is one of the biggest reasons I chose not to grow my Airbnb empire, at least at the moment. I have seen firsthand how fear, incompetence, and the lack of understanding can change regulations almost instantly. It never sat well with me how much the local media, citizens, and the government could affect the narrative of short-term rentals so quickly. Unfortunately, it only takes a few bad apples to cause this. Most stories you hear, almost all stories you hear, about short-term rentals are all in negative light. You rarely hear how much the city tax revenue benefits from short-term rentals. Did you actually know that? And funds full-time positions, especially if there's a lack of hotel tax. You also rarely hear about how tourism from short-term rentals supports the local economy. I've hosted thousands of guests over the years. I would always recommend to my guests to dine, shop, and experience local. Let's be real for a second, guys. Most of the locals aren't spending big bucks dining and shopping. It's just the truth. It's a matter of fact. On top of that, short-term rental tourism brings a boost of coolness, whether you like it or not. I've seen more artisan-style businesses pop up, cool hip things to do, and more art. This, in turn, attracts younger people and families to live in the area. Property values benefit due to economic growth and the attractiveness to visit. So if you're buying a property to do short-term rentals, please do an exponential amount of homework on the city, permits, fees, and regulations. Understand the vibe of the local government. Attend city council meetings. You will get a good sense of where the city is heading. Know that if you're not in a designated zone for short-term rentals, meaning the land is not zoned for it, The right to continue renting as an Airbnb can be taken from you by the city. This can be a scary thing, especially if your cost basis is so high that you do not cash flow, let me repeat that, you do not cash flow renting long term. It is wise to have a plan A, B, C, and D in case there is a shift. Would I buy an Airbnb today? Well, the answer is yes and No. With housing increasing so much in the last few years, I think it's difficult to find a property that will cash flow decently after all your monthly expenses. There are so many Airbnbs in the hotspot areas. Even if you have a great property, there are five others nearby just as good. Palm Springs and Joshua Tree are great examples of this. Your time to get in those areas has passed, at least for now, I think. Now, this is area-specific. 
in the Palm Springs area, for example, 600000 and up will get you something decent and not even that great. So that means your mortgage will most likely be above 4000 monthly. Add property management, maintenance, utilities, and monthly short-term rental tax. You're probably going to need to make over 7000 a month just to break even. I don't know if in today's short-term rental market, you could consistently make over 8000 a month on a $600,000 home. Even if you can, there's more passive and way less headache routes to go, at least for me. Keep in mind, these are just my thoughts. If you get the right deal, it is possible to still be profitable, which is why I'm always looking. Quick story. I stayed in this amazing artist house in upstate New York last summer. The house sat on a beautiful piece of land surrounded by nature. The house was immediately eye-catching with its crazy sloped walls, beautiful handmade windows, and artistic features everywhere. It was truly a one of a kind. It had a beautiful vintage bathroom and the coolest kitchen from the 1900s. Everything about the house was extremely unique, which was probably the biggest contributing factor why it was consistently booked. If I did buy another Airbnb, I'd most likely buy it all cash. All cash could possibly lead to better deals. I'm not a fan of these high interest rates, which I think nobody is, So if you got the cash, do it. No loans, greater monthly cash flow would allow me to live off of my investments. So that's kind of my plan. I could always refinance it later. If rates drop, I could also sell it later down the road using seller financing and still have a nice chunk of monthly passive income. There will always be the debate whether to buy all cash or a loan. It's so funny seeing this this feud on Twitter. And before you get all up in arms, just like the people on Twitter, I think both sides are correct. Remember, the human factor. Remember that one. It's my cash and I'll buy however it suits my needs. So there's never a certainty. It just makes sense in this time, this present time to me. Perhaps if I bought a few years from now, I would get a loan. I'm not opposed to getting a loan. I could also borrow against my stocks. I'll do a whole podcast on borrowing against your stock portfolio with margin and security-based lines of credit. I think that's a really cool option that um, a lot of people don't know. So, would my next Airbnb, what would it look like? Well, I'd love to build something more off-grid and unique. Buying a piece of land and starting from scratch. It would be something more than a place to stay. It would be an experience in itself, if that makes sense. Possibly like a boutique-style hotel, but not in the traditional hotel sense or build. It probably wouldn't even look like a boutique-style hotel. Building it in a remote area does have its challenges, so the thought of doing this in the right city is also appealing. Nonetheless, these are only two of the many ideas I kick around for the next future project. I think whatever the case, the integration of tech and AI combined with uniqueness and sustainability will prove to be a lucrative short-term rental. Perhaps maybe I will do a future podcast on some wild and crazy Airbnb ideas. Let me know in the comments. Staging and furnishing your Airbnb. When I first began renting Airbnbs, I severely, (laughs) yeah, big time, underrated the importance of great photos. Don't be a cheap ass like I was. Pay a professional photographer. You'll make it all back and then some. When you're furnishing your place, it's a good idea to add some used with new. For starters, 
It's good for the environment, right? Everybody loves that. And most importantly, buying used saves you big bucks. Especially, I love buying used outdoor furniture. I never buy this new. Why? Because it gets beat up by the sun, dirt, and wind anyways. So you buy a new piece of furniture and the next day it already looks like it's used. For the interior, keeping the furnishings lightweight is the way to go. Big heavy furniture is such a pain in the ass. You can find some really nice used stuff on OfferUp, Facebook Marketplace, and yard sales. My girlfriend even scored a free used outdoor patio set from a rich couple who just wanted to upgrade their pool furniture. I mean, it looks literally new. I guesstimate it's worth a few thousand dollars because it's not some cheap shit. It was all free. We just had to pick it up. I always buy new memory foam mattresses. That's always a non-negotiable. You don't want lots of wall shelving as it collects dust. Everybody hates dust. It means you or your cleaners will be spending more time dusting. Ceiling fans also love to collect dust bunnies. Oh man, I hate cleaning those things. And another thing that can break. So keep this in mind. Maybe you eliminate them completely. I always make sure that all my chairs that I buy from my properties can support the weight of at least 300 pounds. I know that sounds a little extreme, but it helps with the wear and tear. I like to keep the house the same color, so it's easy to touch up later. I like a nice bright white or some shade of that. I then add splashes of color with artwork, photography, and furniture. The key to making photos on walls look so good is the matte borders. I give total credit to my photographer girlfriend for showing me this. Throughout my property, I have white frames with large white matting for each photo. It looks so good. Sometimes less in a house is more. It's not a benefit to have your house overloaded with furniture. It's just more stuff that can be damaged or more stuff you gotta move. You can do a trial run and have your friends come over and test everything. It's also a nice touch to hide all your wiring from your TV, routers, and other electronics. It gives your house a clean, high-end vibe. Planning your exit strategies. It takes a lot of time, energy, and money to get your short-term rentals up and running. Once you're doing well, the last thing on your mind is an exit strategy, right? Like, why would you ever think about leaving when you put all this work into it? But hear me out. I'd make the case that even before you purchase the property, it would be wise to have some sort of exit plan. Here's why. Now, let's be honest. After several years, many things can happen in your life. Your priorities and interests might not be the same as when you started. Also, factors outside of your control may influence your investment. Let's take the pandemic, for instance. In many areas, 2021 brought a huge increase in property value. I mean, it skyrocketed by 2022, especially in California. Now, if you owned a property for many years prior to this, like I did, and you had an exit plan strategy to sell years later, it would be easier to take advantage of such extreme situations because you've actually thought about it. Keep your exit strategy simple. Give yourself a holding period like 5, 10, 15 years, whatever. Figure out what factors would make you deviate from these holding periods. For example, let's say in year six of ownership, your rental property value is up over 100%. It might be time to sell and take some chips off the table. Or your Airbnb is now in a market 
where you're starting to see saturation and increasing restrictions. Also another reason to possibly exit. And so that's exactly what I saw. I was beginning to see increased restriction and saturation combined with increased skyrocketing property value. It was time for me to initiate my exit plan and I sold. When you do finally exit, I hear tons of discussion on paying capital gains taxes. Many gurus will make you feel dumb for paying capital gains taxes. They will throw out phrases like, just 1031 exchange your property so you don't pay taxes. I believe there's a time and place for a 1031 exchange and in the future, I will possibly do it. But, newsflash, eventually you pay capital gains and possibly at a higher cost basis. I mean, you could keep deferring taxes till you die, pass on the property to your family, If you want to own your property forever, then by all means, go for it. That's why our loving friends at the IRS allow us to do this in the tax code. If my $600,000 property gets rolled into a $1 million property via 1031 exchange, I'll still pay taxes when I sell the $1 million property. So eventually, the IRS gets their money. Here's the thing. Many gurus don't account for the one thing that is most important that is not money, the human factor. Maybe you don't want another property. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe you want to get into a completely different asset altogether. Maybe you don't want to pass it on to your kids. Leaving an abundance of wealth to your children could indeed backfire. True story. Look at the Vanderbilts. They're one of the wealthiest families in America. The children eventually lost the entire fortune, spending it on stupid shit. This happens all the time in families with a lot less wealth. Personally, if I have kids, I'd rather give them my wealth while I'm alive so they can put it to good use at a younger age. Sometimes the best financial solution isn't the best human solution. Remember, we talked about the human factor. So pay them or don't, find out the best strategy for you. My take, I'd rather pay capital gains taxes on the boatload of money I made. I can then use it however I want. That is such a powerful and freeing feeling. I absolutely love that. You then take those profits and invest them in another asset, like index funds, stocks, a business, or another property, or whatever you're thinking. Something to keep in mind, and I have to remind myself of this all the time. Make sure to take some chips off the table for your own well-being. For example, if you make $200,000 in profit, don't invest the entire sum in something else. Take a small percentage of it and enjoy it for yourself. I have a hard time doing this. I keep making the mistake of rolling it all into the next investment. Obviously, you'll make the most wealth this way. However, if the markets begin to trend downward, you will be playing the waiting game for your next moves. It's far better to take a few chips off the table. When I sell my next investment, I'm definitely going to take some chips off the table. I've earned it. Peace of mind and the human component are worth more than the total sum of what you can make. Stay away from market saturation. As an investor, it's always important to monitor your metrics. You should be doing this all the time. It's even more important to keep your ear out on the street. As people I knew began replicating forms of what I was doing, I thought, hey, that's great. I also started to realize the market share would eventually become saturated. 
As with all investments, once the word gets out, things get hot. When people start seeing golden opportunities, they flock to them. The downside is not recognizing when your asset class has reached the point of saturation. Always be aware of this trend in any asset class. When people who typically know very little of the asset class are jumping in headfirst or talking all about it, it's a good indication that peak saturation is either here or will come soon. Social media has glamorized Airbnbs as amazing investment opportunities. To me, it's wild that some people will go all in after watching a 15-second Instagram reel with some hip music. It sounds funny, but it's actually true. So many people fail to recognize what this investment actually requires. For example, in the Palm Springs, California area, during 2021 and 2022, I've seen a feeding frenzy of overpaid Airbnbs. I can't believe people bought these things. Buyers were paying thousands over asking price. Bidding wars were the norm. It was so bizarre. It's like, how could you not see that you will not make profit? People tend to think investments only go up once you buy them. I, I wish that was true. And in the long term, that's generally correct. However, I said long term. It's a generally correct assumption. However, during that time, there are periods of pullbacks and corrections, which we have begun to see in 2023. You see it in real estate and you see it in the stock market. There is also this new reality that many overpaid for properties which they thought would continue to rise. Doing a bit of simple math would clearly indicate higher mortgages translate into homeowners having to charge higher nightly rates. Factor in rising inflation, cost of living, increased wage pay to cleaners and property managers, you'll need to charge more just to break even. Many who bought during this time didn't factor in these things, let alone if the economy could sustain it. So what we are seeing now in 2023 and 2024 is the oversaturation beginning to thin out. Airbnbs that were once bought in 2021 are now being sold for below what they paid for. People are realizing the numbers just don't work. And if they do work, they barely work, and it's not worth the effort. I see this on Twitter frequently now. Airbnb is shifting business models. Airbnbs are changing fast. You've probably seen it. Mainly due to the oversaturation, cities are cracking down hard on short-term rentals. Many big cities are now eliminating short-term rentals altogether. I see this trend continuing. Airbnb, they're no dummies. They've begun shifting their rental model because of this. More emphasis towards renting a room out in your own home while you're there. Also, providing an experience where your guest stays, such as a cooking class or baking or whatever. As more properties get banned for renting entire homes, renting single rooms out can still be a huge untapped market for Airbnbs. Experiences are also more popular than ever. Recently, I was in Athens, Greece, which was beautiful, and did an Airbnb experience with this amazing Greek family. They took our group to local food spots, which I probably would have not found on my own. It's always great to experience the best of a place with locals. Now, imagine integrating an Airbnb experience with AI. Hmm, what would that look like? Could prove to be a lucrative future. Anyways, to wrap this all up, if you're listening to this and want to purchase a property to Airbnb in the future, 
it's a good idea to look into some of the information I've provided. Set yourself up for success. I hope this podcast has given you some insight into what it's like owning and managing Airbnbs. There are so many variables to this interesting asset class. Let's see what the future brings. Tune in next time. We've got a great episode coming up. Sailboat life. Does it make financial sense? For more content, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much.